Hi, this is Thomas with Believe in the Run. This is Robbie with Believe in the Run. And this is Megan with Believe in the Run. And Robbie, we have something special for the people this week. Yeah, this is a big one. Big episode. It's not quite a year. Just call it a year. But runners like round numbers. Yeah, 50. Yeah. What do you think, May? 50 episodes. How's it feel? Pretty exciting. Also, doesn't feel like it's been that long. I don't know. Yeah. What's insane is looking back at the guests we've had, and we're going to pull out some of the guests, which was really tough because we had so many great guests, but we kind of had a theme. And with the theme, we found the quotes that we thought were the best for this episode. Yeah. So, Megan, do you want to go over what kind of what we did for this episode to make it a little bit different than our past ones? Yeah, so we basically went back through all of the episodes that we've recorded and took clips from some of our guests to give you some tips, some strategies, and just some inspiration um, from from the previous chats that we've had. And most of this is wrapped up around the marathon and marathon training since we're going into the fall marathon season. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously we've had some amazing guests in the past year. If you look back at it, I'm a little bit nervous about the next year because I feel like we've had everyone. <laughs> we peaked too soon. No, I don't think so. I think that we okay. have some, uh, there's some real gems waiting in the wings. I know that somebody that you're going to love that has a mustache and a mullet we're going to try to get on soon. Sweet. So, you know. I'm also excited to have further conversations with some of the people that we've talked about um, or talked to already. Yeah, and I think we'll definitely have some more of these guests back yeah. on the show. Um, but we don't want to keep this intro too long. We, we just want to get straight to the point, get to some highlights uh, from some of our favorite guests. Okay, so the first section we're going to talk about here we, is sort of the theme around the mental game and positive self-talk. So you're going to hear from Coach Bennett, who is the Nike run coach. He talks about how pros, elites, and amateurs all go through the same thing and also how it's easier to push through pain when you're helping someone else. We also talk with Ryan Hall about getting nervous and feeling pressure. Emma Bates dives into tactics for mental strength. Emily Sisson talks about butterflies and anxiety and also some of her positive self-talk that's worked. Then, of course, we have Iliad Kipchoge, who discusses rebounding from Monza and what it was like to come back and attempt the sub two again. And then finally, we hear from Courtney DeWalter, and she talks about the pre-race nerves and what to do with unexpected problems. It was always fascinating me coming in as a new person to the sport when I did that I got to run on the same road, the same. It was like it was like if you got to be a professional football player and then some people got to go play touch football while you played, you know, the game at the same time. It, it was that kind of excitement that I knew that, hey, I'm at the New York City Marathon and up in front is Meb, Kara Goucher and these people. And I'm going to. I'm going to pass through the same things that they're doing today. Yeah. And that's the difference between touch football and the NFL, right? I mean, you're, you're not going to get sacked <laughs> by, uh, you know, JJ Watt or something like that. So you don't know what that feels like, but if you run that race to the best of your ability, you're going to feel pretty much the exact same things that those athletes up front feel and the athletes in the backfield, as long as it's, it's, you're trying to give your best. I mean, that, that feels the same. And again, I think that's, uh, that's one of the really magical parts about running is you can sit in a group and listen to someone like a Kipchoge talk about the last few miles of a marathon. And if you've run a marathon, you know what he's talking about. 
It doesn't matter if you ran yeah. 258, 358, 558. You know what it looks like to see that clock ticking and see a barrier and your legs are on fire and you're, you know, you're, you're breathing, you know, the, it's, it's, it's almost, you feel like you're at, uh, you know, the top of Everest. And um, that to me is, is, is one of the best parts, but it, it goes beyond that too, because we all know what it's like to do that run in the rain in the morning when we don't want to do it, or we think we don't want to do it or the run after a hard day of work or, you know, some struggles at home. So it's, uh, it's one of the few, if only sports that offers that to everyone who decides to take part in it. Well, it's funny because you have talked about how, and when you're coaching, and I'm going to transition to some of the coaching stuff now. Um, you've talked about how, somebody who won't do it for themselves will do it for the team. And it oh, sounds like that's what you're kind of saying, even when you're doing the 800 repeats at the uh, Nike, was that the Nike track? The uh, This was uh, in Palo Alto. So it's Palo Alto, okay. Yeah. So with the Stanford team, the, um, the, you know, you were able to maybe extend and push a little harder because you knew that you were helping that guy out. And that's an interesting thing for people to try to channel maybe is, is, find ways to help other people be better. Yeah. Well, that was at, at practice, um, whether it was when I was coaching high school or when I was uh, doing um, events for Nike, uh, towards the end of every workout, that was the challenge. I'd say, who's tired? And, you know, people would raise their hand and I'd say, okay, find someone more tired than you and help them out. Because you'll always dig deeper and push, push harder and go further if you're helping someone else. It's, yeah. it's, it's just fact. We will give up on ourselves way before we give up on the team and each other. And yeah, I think everyone can relate on the level of being nervous, right? It's like, I get nervous, like when I'm in my home gym trying to pull a PR in the deadlift, <laughs> now, right? Like, I'll get nervous. It doesn't matter, like, what level we're at or if we're in a race or if we're at home by ourselves, like, like we all know it's like getting nervous. And I think it's, it's like that, but to another level, you know? Um, and the thing that's what I focused on when I was feeling pressure, nervous, all that stuff. First off, like I was, I put the most pressure on myself from the time I was a little kid. Like I had to learn to manage my own self pressure. Like I felt that way more than I felt pressure of the media or message boards or whatever like articles i think one thing that really helped me deal with the outside pressure was staying out of it so like i'm much more active on like social media and stuff like that now but back then like i was i wasn't paying attention to any comments uh, i wasn't reading any articles written about myself like i wasn't reading any interviews like i was just blinders on like they focus on what i'm doing and that helped a ton because I, I just knew myself. I knew from reading articles before, if I got some, some uh, reporters like quote stuck in my head, some negative quote, I knew that thing's just going to be turning in my mind forever. I got to just stay out of it. Like I wouldn't, that's why I didn't read anything. Like I still haven't read a lot of those articles. Like I, I don't go back and read that stuff just because I'm like, I, I still just need to stay focused on what I'm doing. And but I think, irrelevant you know, at this going point. more towards the positive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know you outlined a whole, I think it was a 10-part post on Instagram, sort of start to finish. So we, we do know a bit about how you were feeling, but I still am just so curious because I can't imagine 
throwing up at mile nine and then also almost PRing. So where does that mental strength come from and how did you get through those really, really tough parts? Um, yeah, I think the, the weeks leading up to the marathon project were probably the hardest for me to get through. So like just getting to the start line was, was extremely challenging and, um, just starting the race and just kind of getting in a flow with the other women was kind of, um, the only way that I was going to get anywhere. Um, so just kind of believing that, you know, at least I can hold on for, you know, a few miles if I drop off, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll drop out or I didn't really know like what I could do in that race. So it was, it was a very odd one because, um, I was extremely fit. I knew that I was capable of a really fast time. I just didn't know mentally if I was going to be there. Um, so as I was going along, um, you know, just having to, to throw up at that point was just like, you know, just another thing, just, you know, I've been going through so much and this is just, uh, you know, just adding to it. So it was just like, eh, whatever, like I threw up and I feel like crap now, but I'm just going to try to grind through this. You know, I made it to the start line. So that's, that's a huge accomplishment. So just keep going and see what you can do. And, um, just chugging along. I just, you know, my feet were just moving over and over again and faster than I thought they would be. And, um, Again, I, I think I just kind of released all of the pressure and all of the expectations that I had in myself, and I was able to just kind of be in a flow state for a while. And, um, yeah, it didn't start getting really, really challenging physically until, like, the last, like, four to six miles, which, of course, like, you hit that wall, the proverbial wall. And, um, you know, after throwing up, it was just like, oh, boy, like, I don't yeah. know if I'm going to be able to finish. Like, There's you know, you, you hear about bonking and you know I was probably on the cusp of that but um I just was like I just kept thinking about how proud of myself I was for for just getting to the start line getting to four miles getting to 10 miles getting to 20 miles and I I just kept building off of that just you know get, getting more excited about just like I didn't think I could do this and I'm doing this right now um, and that just like really just snowballed into me just trying to grind it out and get to the finish line as fast as I could and didn't really care about anything else about the fatigue or anything in my life that I was experiencing. I was just focusing on, you know, just the road ahead of me and trying to catch as many people as I could. And, um, it just, that's the really cool thing about the marathon is you kind of find a different side of yourself that you didn't know was there. And I, again, was a lot tougher than I expected I, I was and, um, and could just go after it more than I, I thought I ever could. Do you get all the butterflies and everything when you're standing in the crowd or still like, do you look around and look at the other competitors and kind of like size up what do you <laughs> think is going to be your competition? And- um, so I feel like I perform the best when I go in, um, like respectful of everyone that I'm competing against. I don't want to like underestimate anyone ever. Um, but then also just only like not worrying about like, Oh, how fit is she? Like, what is she even doing in training? Like if I'm just like focused on, okay, well you've done this, like you're, this is your race plan. Like that's when I feel the best. Um, so I don't think I get butterflies from like looking at the people I'm like competing against. I do get butterflies when I'm like standing there and I'm like, wow, this is like my first road race in the U S in a year. Like <laughs> This was amazing. Um, so like, I still get a little nervous, but that's like a good thing. Um, gives me that like adrenaline. So yeah. We asked 
Clayton, like mentally, like what do you what are you thinking about as far as when it gets tough, when you're going up that the bridge, the green monster, and you're hitting the five thirty mm-hmm. paces and it feels like you're working as hard as you possibly can. Like, do you have a mantra or do you have uh like or do you talk to somebody in your head? Is what what is going on in those tough moments? So I use like a lot of positive self talk. It's always been that way. Um, but, and I try to keep like whatever I'm saying to myself pretty like organic in the moment. Like you don't want to say like, oh, you feel good when you're running up there, like, you know, like, like 20 miles per hour headwinds, disgust, like way higher than that. Um, so I try to like think of something that's genuine. Um, and in the moment I'm just like, okay, you just have to get to the top of that hill. Like once you're at the top, it's all downhill from there. And like, I kept them just telling myself, you're almost there. You're almost there. Uh, so it's pretty positive. I feel like I swore a little bit in my head. It was just so hard, but it was like, it was just such a difficult hill. But the positive self-talk, I think, is like huge for me. Um, it's just something I constantly do in workouts and races, and I, I swear by it. Um, I think it's really helpful. So how do, how do you like, because immediately, I mean, obviously, when you're going up a hill like that, most people are going to give themselves negative talk. Yeah, like, oh, this hurts, <laughs> this hurts, this sucks. Like, I think it takes a little bit of training or... Um, is it something that was coached into you for this positive thought? Like where did this habit develop? Um, a couple of phrases I've picked up, up off other people, but I think, um, I, I don't know. I think I just have always been that way. And I think the key to it though really is keeping it genuine. Like, I don't think you can say to yourself when you're running like that and it hurts that much, like, Oh, you feel good. <laughs> like if you don't, like, uh, it needs to be something else. So like, if I'm going through like a rough patch in the race, um, often I'll tell myself like, Hey, this is just a rough patch. Like you're going to come out of this. Um, and which normally I do. And I remember in Atlanta, I had to use so much positive self-talk because I was like struggling for a while. Um, and, and then after a while, I just like, it, I, it actually like helped me. I feel like hang on longer than I did. Um, but yeah, I really do swear by it. I think it's so important um, the way you talk to yourself. So, um, I've got a few like things that I like randomly will just like cycle through, but um, I do try to look for something in the moment that's like, um, meaningful and that, uh, I know is like fitting for what I'm like needing help with. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting that you, the way that you phrased it, you kind of had what we would call your first goal, second goal and, and third goal there. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to do my best. That's the best. That's all I can do. And when we get into the ring, in this case, the ring being Monza track. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, come out there. And I, I watched it again last night. I watched Breaking 2 again. And we're talking about belief and, and how you get over hurdles and get to the next stop. Everybody in running has moments that aren't perfect, where you give your all and it comes up a little short and you question yourself. Did you question yourself after coming up 2025 20, that, or I mean, two hours and 25 seconds, did you question yourself and think maybe this isn't possible? Or were you like, I'm so close. I want to give this another shot. Uh, you know, I was really happy for it. And uh, I, I told myself, so I was really close. I don't actually think of uh, an, any negative thing. But I was, my happiness was running two hours and some few seconds up and say, no, then, then this thing is actually possible. Then the whole night, uh, I was thinking that maybe in future also, I will have to run 102 hours before I go <laughs> to the sport. That's <laughs> so I, the two hours actually and 25 seconds gave me a big, big belief that uh, 
everything is possible in this world, provided you accept by yourself and you put in practice. So psychologically, when you're lining up at the start of a race and getting ready to run one of these ultras, which, you know, obviously you're not thinking about the finish line the minute you start because it's no. too far off in yeah. the future. <laughs> or Big's Backyard where it's just kind of like, I'm hoping to get to a certain number yeah. of miles. Is, is there still a nervousness or are you, like, is this playful to you? Like, I'm just going to see what I can do today. Like, what's going through your mind? Uh, it's a nervous excitedness. Yeah. I think... Um, Excited to play, but nervous of like, what's the thing that I didn't predict would happen and can I handle it? Because there's always some unknown like, wrench that's thrown in your day when you're out there for a whole day or two days or whatever. And so that's usually what has me be like a little nervous, but also I think that's part of the fun of it is it's this puzzle that we get to try and solve every time. All right, so here's the second little section of interviews. And what we're talking about here is training. And we thought, well, since we're getting into marathon training season, what a great time to take some tips from the pros and from people who actually have gone through it several times. Well, in some cases, Molly only three times. But we're going to go through with Molly Seidel, and she's going to talk about playing to your strengths and having confidence in your training because think we all struggle with that getting to the line Illy Kipchoge I don't know if there's a better marathoner on the planet so you might want to listen up to him and after he I wouldn't call it a failure but after he didn't quite reach the time goal he wanted at Monza how he stayed with his training and just changed his mindset to take it to the next level and he also talks about how we all feel the same thing on race day and how Embracing the crowd and hearing the cheers and feeling that positivity helps him get through a race. Coach Bennett's going to chime in. And I mean, who better than Nike's head training coach, Coach Bennett, to tell you that everybody has sucky runs and that that's okay. So before I give all the secrets away, we'll end with some more uh, tips from Noah Drotti, Emma Bates, and Matt Centrowitz. I mean, how exciting is that though? Like you were there with, just the energy that's there at an event like that, where you're with the cream of the crop, you know, hundreds of really fast women. The fastest. Yeah, we don't even re- we don't really even care about the guys' race that day. But um, <laughs> it was hilly. It had a lot of turns. Like this was not an easy. Like I don't think this would be anybody's choice to debut the marathon, other than maybe Molly's. I mean, the fact that I we were actually just talking about this on our run today. All of those things actually played into my strengths. Like I love hilly courses. I love technical courses and I love racing. I'm not a time trialer. I go out and I'm just there to race and take names and try and like, (laughs) try and just have as much fun and make as many people mad as possible. But um, (laughs) I think if anything, not having any experience at the marathon also helped me because all of these other women going in who they're the, the fastest marathoners in the U.S they had never run a race like that. And so I think a lot of them were comparing them to like, oh, this is nothing like Chicago. This is nothing like a flat, fast marathon. Whereas I'm just like, this is what a marathon is is because I have nothing to compare it to. So yeah, I think once I got to late stages in the race and I felt 
objectively horrible, but I'm just like, this is how you're supposed to feel. Yeah. Whereas I think people who had other experience are just like, I'm not supposed to feel like this at mile 19 of a marathon. In your pocket, you have this confidence that you can compete at the top level. And so even in your training, I think for any runner, it's difficult to always believe in yourself and to always have like the faith that you can execute on race day. And you kind of have that in your pocket going in and then you get the extra time to even enhance your training and get, get ready for the Olympics. So I can see how that could be an advantage. And then you see someone like Alephine who's having a child and you're like, okay, what does that do to your fitness and stuff? So a year for her is a huge uh, a difference. So it will be interesting, I think, for, as a spectator, as a fan, to see how this rolls out and what that extra time coming into Japan is, is going to do yeah. the athletes. It, it's going to be weird because this has never happened before. And just, yeah, it's, so many things are different this time around. But yeah, I think more than anything, even like, it's more just having confidence in the way that I do things. I train a little bit differently than maybe other marathoners. I, may, I might not be doing as much mileage. I definitely am not doing the same kinds of workouts as some other marathoners that have been doing this for 10, 12 years or so. But being able to have the confidence of like, okay, like how I did things going into Atlanta, like that worked. And so like, don't compare what you're doing to other people because like this, this is how you do it. And it's, it's been proven that it somehow works. So just Clearly. keep trusting in that. <laughs> don't change. Yeah. Don't and literally after we finish that marathon, like Meb literally comes up, gives me a huge hug and he just goes, don't change anything. <laughs> In the, you, you finished that trial and you're 25 seconds over and you've got to put new habits and new training and what you learned from the first attempt into now, you know, you're going for a second attempt. When you are doing that, what were some of the things that you needed to change? Oh, I did not change anything. My core, I used the same coach. It's the same training maths, but all in all is that the, I changed menta- more mentality because I, I had a strong belief that uh, running under two hours is really possible. So I had uh, a small, a big, big and huge experience from Monza going forward uh, uh, with the next challenge. So I, I, I did not change anything, but only I trick, I changed a little bit of my mind that uh, I, this thing is possible because if I, I run shy of 25 seconds, then I can still keep on. I can get some few improvements uh, here and there and, 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 and get into the time. I was talking to uh, actually Coach Bennett from Nike, and we were talking about how he said, if you put everything out on the line in a marathon, you may not run as fast as Ilya Kipchoge. You will, though, feel the same crossing that finish line as he feels. It's something that unites us all. And I, I think that's the most amazing thing about this sport that even someday, if you know, I'm lining up at Berlin and you're lining up at Berlin, we're not going to finish at the same time, <laughs> but we're going to have an experience that day together. And there's no other sport like that, where you can be with somebody like Ili Kipchoge on the playing field that he's on, run the same course that he's running and, and share that moment. There's no other sport like that, that I can think of. That's not really a question, <laughs> but more of a statement. But do, do you, 
I mean, do you feel the crowd behind you when you're running or are you so focused on just executing your, your, your day? I really feel the crowd when I'm running. I really feel the people on, uh, on the sides of the road. Uh, I'm really impressed by what they're shouting of the positive vibes that they're actually sending by, by their shouts. But I can tell you actually uh, a race is the crowd. If actually uh, a race is a crowd and that's why uh, we make a good race and run very fast is because of uh, yeah, you, you, people who are around, you know, people who are actually running, we run together, with, uh, people actually who are on the side of the road watching and setting actually standing for two hours to see you, to watch you and uh, shouting for you. Uh, the after, the after, the percentage in, in in my heart and in my and in my results. When I asked the original question, the thing that I think that blowing my mind in perception would be that the Nike Running Club probably has millions of people worldwide, and at any given time, there's probably hundreds of thousands of people listening to your voice and going on a guided run with you. And hopefully some of them are learning how to run correct. And I do think that is a huge issue when people come into the sport. I have friends who say, oh, I don't like running. I'm like, that's because you're either comparing yourself and trying to run seven minute miles out the gate and it hurts and it sucks and it's not fun and you never want to do it again. Or you, you're just not doing it. You have bad shoes, bad equipment. If you, you're right. If you go out there and learn how to run and feel that exhaustion that sets you up for a successful day, and you feel like you've accomplished something before you get to that crappy job or whatever it is that you got to do, you're already winning. So that, that was kind of where I was getting to with the totally. blowing my mind. With the yeah, app. well, it's, and in doing so, and this is the other side, it allows you to have bad runs and not think you're a bad runner. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the other thing that's super important is that, you know, there is no coaching anywhere that can erase bad runs from your future. Like you're going to have bad runs. You're going to have days where you feel like crap. And sometimes they're right after days where you were a rock star. But the difference is, is you can handle those better too. So not only are you having more good runs, you're handling bad runs better, which is a part of the gig. I mean, that's it. Like there is no it's way a tough to get lesson. that. It is a tough lesson, but they happen. And sometimes they happen for no reason. And sometimes they happen at the beginning and then the second half of the run, because you made it there, it becomes a better run. And that's great. But sometimes it's just, it starts bad and ends bad and you end it. And I'll tell you what, you know, there was a run, there's a run in the app called the success run, S-U-C-K-C-E-S-S run. And I remember <laughs> when, I, when I brought it, I was like, yeah, so here's the next run. They're like, success, like they, that's, are we sure we want it? And I was like, no, this is one of the most important runs we're ever going to do because it's all about the fact that some runs suck and it's important for us to acknowledge that. And our sport does a terrible job. We try to just say, oh, it's okay. It's you know, just always go easy. It's always going to be easy. It's, no, it's not true. That's like telling somebody like every day is going to be okay if you just smile. And it's like, <laughs> what a load of crap. That's not true. Some days suck. But it's really important to realize you can get through a sucky day and you can get through a sucky run. Like that's super important to know. And that's something running teaches you. And hopefully you bring into the rest of your life that, yeah, you know what? I pulled out every trick I could and it still just sucked. When you have a performance like that and you see kind of like, 
your that you have that in you. And you said earlier, you're 30 years old. Yeah, you still have plenty of time to go after um, the marathon distance, and it seems like it's one that suits you. Is are you starting to get that? Like, hey, what can I do? Like, like what can I? Like, what's the best that I could do? Like the like, feeling, or like maybe I could do a little bit. You know, even though you seem to have given it your all and then left it on the finish line there. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I would say, you know, four years ago, if you would have said, hey, 209.09 is the best marathon performance that you're ever going to have, I would have been like, sold. Yeah, that's like, that's great. You know, <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> like, good. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, like, you know, done. Uh, you know, like just, but, you know, as athletes, we, we have these performances and then we're always looking back on it. It's like, okay, how is my training? And like, how did the race play out? And and identifying like little things here and there um, that would amount to cutting some time off. Like I think nutrition is like a big thing for me in terms of like race, race day nutrition. Like obviously I got really sick at the finish line. I wasn't absorbing any of the calories that I was taking in. Like if I'm better fueled, you know, do I catch, do I catch Martin Hay here that day? Like who knows? Um, I mean, he ran a great race, but so I think we're always identifying what we can do better. And so I would like to run faster. I mean, like, <laughs> if there's kind of no reason to get out of bed, if I don't think I can run a little faster. I'm going to ask for a tip because running, you know, doing marathon training, I, I've run plenty of marathons and the track is always my, like when I get a track workout, I'm like, Ugh track like I le- I'd rather be on the roads going stuff looking at I, I going in a circle for me drives me nuts so you you have a huge track background then you go and you focus on the marathon now you're back on the track is do you have that feeling and how do you get past it or are you like ah, track I like it I'm back so I think that the biggest help for me was to break it down. Um, the roads definitely helped with that, just breaking it down into either, you know, a mile or a K or half a mile even, or maybe just even reaching like the next light post of the race or trash can or next water station, <laughs> whatever it may be. I always kind of change it up, which whichever like I'm feeling at the moment of breaking it down and just, you know, making it more manageable mentally. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do with the track, and it's been a process, definitely, but uh, breaking it into, I mean, laps, which, like, I know with the 10K is 25 laps, but you're just really trying to be in that moment and in that lap, and the lap after that does not matter. The lap after that doesn't matter. So it's really just trying to stay in the, the lap that you're in, even if it's just, like, the stride that you're in, just trying to focus on your arms, focus on pushing off the ground. Um, just little things that can kind of bring you back into the moment rather than like getting zoned out because, you know, you're going in so many laps and everything. Um, and I, I tend to get claustrophobic too. So like being on the track is definitely something that I don't really like just being around everybody. So just trying to like focus on my breathing also, um, just so you don't get overwhelmed with just everything that's going on around you. So um, mindfulness is always my motto. So just trying to find what it is that keeps you in the moment is, is I think the best tip. We've talked about, uh, tell their coaches about how they, you know, with the people they work with, how do they know who's going to be successful and not successful? And, um, you know, coach Bennett from Nike 
who I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but he does all the voices for the, the Nike training program app. Right. He, he was saying that the, he just uncovers the athlete. Do you feel the same philosophy or do you have a way that you're like, you see something in somebody or you feel like you can get work out of someone? Like, what is it that you look for in someone that you're coaching? Well, I go there. That's a good, before I jump ahead to that answer, what is uncover? I didn't follow. I, I know Coach Bennett quite a bit. Yeah, he's a New Jersey guy, not quite the Bronx. But, uh, yeah, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, the, uh, but he, um, he's what saying that the, the athletes there, he just, he just brings out the, the best in that athlete. Or, or, or he's like, he's not, he's not taking a kid and making a runner. He's taking a runner and making them run better kind of thing. True, true. Well, that's, that's the exciting part of being a good coach is that you, you learn things. It's a, it's a meeting of two people, and we both learn from each other. I think it, if it's a one-way street, that's a dictatorship. And I never really – I never responded to those kind of coaches. And I, I really – you know, you got to be on time. Certain rules, you got to be. You got to be on time. You got to work out. You, you know, certain things like that. But basically, you, everyone has so different talents out there, and that's makes it so exciting to me, a new, new athlete – and to uncover that or to explore all these different options. And sometimes I'm on the wrong street and no one bats a thousand, but you know, there's certain things that I bring out in people that they didn't know about themselves sometimes, or they, they bring out stuff that I didn't, you know, they teach me new lessons every day. So it's kind of a, a mutual benefit that we both learn from each other. I don't think it's a one way street. All right, for the last and final segment of our 50th episode, we're going to go deep into the pain cave. And we have some amazing athletes in this section who really go deep into pain and how they kind of perform and get past that. So we'll talk to Ryan Hall, obviously the um, American record holder for the half marathon. He's definitely dipped into that pain. And then we'll talk to Alexi Pappas and her perspective on pain and how her past has shaped that. And then we'll talk to ultra, ultra runner Courtney DeWalter. Of course, she's done 200-mile races that have gone beyond any pain that we've all experienced. And then Kara D'Amato, one of our favorite guests who's very candid about her pain during her races. And that's it. So check it out and stick around for a little bit of uh, the end. When I'm feeling really nervous, when I'm feeling a lot of pressure, like, I just focus on, I just love performing. Like for me, like running was, it was an art form. It was a performance. It was like, like, oh man, like probably one of my favorite moments in my career was going out to the start line of the Boston Marathon. And they take us through this like human, like there's human uh, tunnel or whatever, with runners on both sides of us. And we go out through the middle of them. And, you know, they're just all hyped up. They want to see us. And like the race is about to start and I would always make sure I was just the last person that they would go through. And I would go through it. Like I was like leading a war cry. Like <laughs> I'd be giving everyone high fives. Like, like I was like, I'm going to bring the energy. Right. And I'm going to like receive the energy too from the crowd, from the other runners. Like for me, like I felt like I was leading like, like a brave heart scene. Right. Like we're going to war and like, this is going to be super fun. 
And so when I was in that kind of mentality, when like, I was like, I just can't wait to get out and perform. I can't wait, like get it, get into the hurt zone of the race. Like, I love it when it gets hard. I love it when I get to that mile <laughs> 20 more. You know, like, that's where I come up to life, right? And that's because I've always just had this mentality of, like, I crave pain. Like, I love pain. And these are the kind of thoughts I'm telling myself. So then you start to believe those thoughts, and then you actually do start to enjoy the pain, right? So I think a lot of the – there's a good nervousness, which is, like, an excited nervousness and there's a bad nervousness which is a fearful nervousness and so whenever i felt myself being that kind of fearful nervous like i would just recenter myself and just being like no like i love the pain like i can't wait to start hurting like the first 20 miles of the race it's just a warm-up it's just it's just to get me to the point to where the race actually starts at mile 20 and just focusing on just like the love of just like performing the love of being out there, you know, and, and embracing every part of the journey is part of that, right? Like being super nervous, like that is a part of the experience that I knew like sitting here now, like one day I'll miss that, you know, like waiting for the Boston Marathon to start like those last couple seconds before the gun fires, your heart's just going a million miles a minute. Like I, I do, I don't know, right? Like that's a part of the experience. And so learning to embrace like the parts of the journey that you love, but also the parts of the journey that maybe aren't so much fun and realize, hey, this is like all a part of it. This is all good. Okay, so you, um, in the book, you outline quite a few traumas that you had as a child. Um, And I'm wondering if you obviously also have a very high pain threshold in your running. And do you think that, those two align? Uh, like, are they related? Yeah. Do you think because of those experiences as a young child, you maybe have a higher pain threshold than most of us? I think I have a different perspective than some people. And I think where that comes into play with running in particular is like the pain of running, as long as you're not like injured, is really simple. I mean, it's, it's really painful, but it is, it is a really simple sport. In that as long as you're not hurting yourself, you like the decision to keep putting one foot in front of the other in in the goal of getting to the finish line is a really beautifully simple, good pain. It's an iteration of good pain. And, you know, I think having this, this perspective to know that there is a bad pain out there. And I saw a lot of that was really, you know, it was just a good perspective. And then as far as like my actual pain tolerance, I mean, I think that I was driven from a very young age to go as far to the edge as was possible in the good pain way, which I associate with sports, with, with art, you know, with the art. Um, And it was because I really wanted to be, you know, not like my mom at that time when I didn't understand like why she took her own life. I didn't understand and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so, yeah, I think my pain tolerance was was high because I had that perspective and I was pushing up against something um, in, a, in a maybe unsustainable way, but a really powerful way nonetheless. How far does your pain cave go? Because it seems like it goes pretty far. And I'm like, it goes pretty like far. When, when, when has there been a time when you're like, that's just like, was too, like that was, couldn't handle it anymore? Uh, I don't think... 
that that's how I categorize it. Okay. Over. So like, how do you categorize? How, how would you categorize your pain cave levels? Do you have a smiley chart? <laughs> no, I think you just go in and then you try and go as far back as you can in it. So would it's, you it's ever, unless, yeah. unless it was an injury, is yeah. there ever a limit? Yeah. I mean, she um, was blind. Well, I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like uh, yeah. what's his name, Ron Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so during a race, I um, did have an injury flare up and, before that race, I think I questioned myself on if I would be smart enough ever to pull it and step out of the pain cave if I needed to. Mm-hmm. And when that injury flared and it was like, here's the facts of the situation, this isn't fixable and it's not good to keep running on it, then we did pull the plug and dropped out of the race. Yeah. Um, so I think injury stuff you have to definitely be aware of. But if it's just discomfort, I think that pain cave runs real deep. Do you rely on your crew to figure out like when it's time to call it quits or do you trust yourself? Cause you just said if you're smart enough, but you've got people around you, you've got, you know, people trying to help you. Do you listen to them or do you just mainly you're your main consult? I think I'm my main consult, but they're super valuable. And like, I try to explain to them, you know, cause they don't know when I say it's like, shooting pain down my whole mean? leg and I can't walk on it. Like, where are we then? Um, and so I'll bounce those ideas off of them just to, like, you know, gauge health things sometimes. So having a crew is huge, and often, like, it's the same crew, so they know me pretty well at this point. And uh, they'll be able to look at my face when I come into an aid station, and we don't even have to say anything. They'll know, like, how deep into the cave I am. But it, that doesn't mean we stop, yeah. you know? They'll just, like, have an understanding of how to help me better. As your times have gotten faster, do you feel like you can just get deeper in the pain cave or are you just fitter? Both. Okay. I think the biggest thing is being fitter. And I think that's what's taken like just a lot of patience just to get to where I am. And like, I feel like you can only sustain a certain amount of pain, but I think I've become a lot more mature in the way that I handle it and I expect it and I kind of welcome it in. And I know when I start feeling all those things, I know there's a certain voice that you just tell to shut up. Like, I'm not going to listen to you, you know, and then there's things that you're like, okay, this is the point where if I can work through this, it's going to turn into a really phenomenal race rather than just great or just good. So Um, so yeah, I think I've gotten better at managing the pain, but I've also gotten more fit. So it, you know, it's just a different kind, but yeah, it always, I feel like no matter what shape you're in, like running hurts, (laughs) you know, like I like the idea of being fit and it not hurting as much. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. I I don't think we're comfortable. I think the problem is that when you run, once you get comfortable, you're like, I could run harder. And so you're constantly putting yourself in a pain situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Why don't we all just slow down? <laughs> I know. If people would just come back, <laughs> come to my speed. <laughs> so that wraps it up. And we want to say thank you so much for being on this journey to 50 with us. 50 episodes. We're proud of it. We're proud that we have you listening on here. We hope that we've added some value to your running and to your day and maybe put a smile on your face every once in a while. So Meg, anything you want to tell people? Yeah, thank you all for 
tuning in every week. Uh, it's been super fun to talk to these elite athletes and people in the industry. And we're honestly just honored that we get to chat with these awesome people and hope that you've enjoyed listening. Yep. So stick around for 50 more or 100 or however many we do. This one goes to 11. Well, we passed that. Oh, more than 11. (laughs) (laughs) All right, right, but that's great. And uh, hey, I guess we still got to say hi to mom. Hi, mom. All right, that's it. Give me a couple of musicians that you're listening to. I will give you the best one, which I always listen, Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson, yes. Kelly Clarkson. That, that's, that just surprised me. That surprised me. That, that, that's my favorite because, you know, all the generation was thinking that if you run under two hours, you will die. But Kelly Clarkson says, what cannot kill you makes you stronger. <laughs>